When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back for another episode of In the End Zone with Noel Mazzoni. And Coach Mazzoni this week is coming to us from Hamburg where he's coaching an all-star game. So, Coach, it's great to catch up with you uh, all the way across the world. Okay, yeah, it's good night in Hamburg. I just walked into Piccadilly Bar and having a local Pilsner. So, this has been like a lot of fun. I, got, I came out here the uh, U.S. Federation, American Football League. This is the first ever playing the ELF, for the European League. They just finished their championship game this last weekend, and we're have, kind of doing a all-star game, U.S. kids versus the uh, the Europeans. So it's been, it's been fun. Well, Coach, I know that that means since you've been traveling, haven't had a chance to watch some of those games, but there's a few things this week I've been seeing, kind of a trend that I thought we could talk about. And so one that I've seen... Uh, across multiple levels, high school, college, NFL, has been the use of a nub tight end. And I think it's it's been a while where I've seen seen it used as much as it's being used right now. So my thoughts, what I want to know is, first of all, why, why do you think teams are starting to use that a little bit more? And then after that, I guess we could get into some of the things that you like out of that. So that question first, why are we seeing more of that right now? Keep my thought was, so like when you're a zone, a tight zone team, and you're a gun-tight zone team, you're always trying to protect the edges. You're trying to protect the mesh point. And obviously when you have an open end, an open inside, and you're basically beer blocking a tackle, there's six in the box. You're putting a lot of pressure on your quarterback to make split-second decisions for you the whole game. Is the end squeezing? Is he, is he attacking the mesh? Is he slow playing you? Then maybe you have a quarterback one year that's not a great runner, and he pulls the ball on an end, and guys are tracking him down. Then you have to deal with the exchange on the backside, right, where they crash the end of the back, they spike the end of the back, and they wrap the backer for the quarterback, you know, kind of an option switch type deal. So you're always dealing with the backside of zone. If they've got six in the box and you have to block those six, you've got to leave the end free. So everybody kind of went to, okay, let's protect the edge, all right? Uh, so by putting the nub tight end there, uh, it protects your edge and it removes your, your zone read. Instead of becoming a six defender conflict read team, now you can move it to make it the seventh defender. So now I can protect the A gap, the P gap, and the C gap. And now I get to read the D gap instead of always reading the C gap. Him Having him in the nub still, even when the guy's in line, you still get the edge pressure reads off an inline guy that a quarterback has. When he's a nub, it's a little bit harder for the defense. And then plus, I can also arc him. So it gives me way more options of what I can do with it than just being an inline guy. So that's what I, that's what we started doing, you know, a while back with the nub tight end. And like conversely, I've seen a real push to where you're playing more with the 240, 245. He's not a true inline guy where he's got to deal with five techniques and seven techniques and big guys and, you know, base block him and do all that. 
that's kind of like the hybrid between the fullback and the old inline tight end and the fullback is these move tight ends that people are playing in the nub. So with that guy too, I know you look at an attack to the boundary. Now you're going to compress that. So you do have a nice amount of field. It doesn't matter if you're high school or college, there's still a nice amount of field to work over there with some combinations. You got that tight end. I know getting him on a corner can certain stress the defense. And now you could get your back into the flat and usually have a nice high low there with really what becomes a smash concept. It doesn't matter really what offense you run, but especially when you're a spread offense and you got four receivers in the game, you're always worrying about these defenses you come to that just have decided, look, I'm just going to pressure you. I'm going to bring the heat. I'm going to bring 6-1 saw. I'm going to bring four from the side. I'm going to do all this pressure stuff and put a lot of pressure on your quarterback. All right, so it gets kind of taxing mentally on a quarterback when he spends the whole night, you know, looking at pressures and their their blitzes. What do I have to do? Where I think now you put that nub guy in there with the back. I can now I can get into a seven man pass protection surface even. You know, I can gap it off and put two off the edge, and I can protect all the gaps because just like anything, if I have no tight end in there or no nub, and I'm four wides, and I've got five guys that can block. Not any more, not any less. I got five. Right. And so when they put a six defender in there, that's the guy I have to deal with. So now if I put a tight end in there, now I can block six. So now I'm dealing with the seventh defender. And most of the time, the seventh defender is either a nickel or a safety. So he's not as much of a run fit guy. Right. And then deal with him. So it's just all a numbers game. Right. And I do think it's a good opportunity to get numbers back to the boundary as well. When you take that deep cross route and got that tight end clearing out. And now you really can run a three-level stretch. But what I like about that, and you think about in terms of a a normal split out there by the receiver, you've tightened everybody down. So now as you clear that out, there's some nice space for that crosser to get into as well. Yeah, and, you know, so what's offense about, right? Like I've always thought, to me, offense is about not playing defense on offense. It's about outnumbering a defense or out-leveraging a defense. Everything you look at, you know, you're playing a post-safety team, you're always thinking about three-level floods, right? You play, in, you play in a split safety team, you're always thinking about four verticals. You play in a 3-4 team, you're thinking about going three-by-one sets and outnumbering them to the field. Next thing I see a big move towards is, okay, let's talk about out-leveraging a defense. Now you start talking about condensed sets, condensed sets with tight ends, bunch sets, you know, things like that where I can condense the defense, you know, make them condense, and now I can kind of gain space on the perimeter. So I, I really I think like offensively, we, we should always think about numbers, leverage, where and how can I create space and on the defense. I need to make the defense, which is the whole premise of spread offense, right? I think we talked about it the other day about the 12 Mighty Orphans book. That's right where Coach Russell was, he decided I'm going to go spread offense and tempo because he didn't didn't have enough players and he wanted to spread the defense out. So I think that's the whole, that was the whole thought of spread offense is let's make them defend the whole field. Exactly. Well, sticking with that theme, Coach, the, that idea of some things maybe that are bit trending a little bit more this year. The other thing I've started to see more of is some speed option. And I see it two ways. You see the traditional, let's go at the end right now with the back and Get, you know, make them commit and get that ball out to our tailback. But the other one, and, and this has been around for a while, but I'm starting to see this more as well at all levels, is where you start look what, what looks like a, you know, an inside zone read, but that guy just plants his foot and gets into that, into that phase for a speed option. So it's a little bit of a, a delayed one. Now you kind of have 
everybody working and starting to fill on what looks like is going to be an inside zone. And now you guys are attacking the edge with two people. So this, both versions of that speed option, I think, are coming back. What do you like about those types of people? This is how old I am. So I, I worked from 1985 to 1995. I think nine years. Eight or nine years I worked for Coach Jim Wacker. So I was a split-back veer guy. So I learned about split-back veer, about option, about triple read, you know, the whole, you know, pitching off ends and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I'm not a huge speed option guy. It's not something that's in my, you know, that is like like I do a lot of. You know, it, it came into a, you know, to me it hit a while back when everybody started jumping into bear fronts, all right? And so it was everybody's answer to bear fronts. And it was what it was, was it was more of a, it was more of a check. You know, you didn't come up, you didn't call speed option and you didn't call just pure speed option in the huddle. Right. right. You know, it was like, Oh, they're in bear. What's what, how do we, how do we deal with bear fronts, Mike shoot, all that stuff. Oh, we check speed option. So that's what people have been doing that for a long time. And I think what you, if you watch, uh, if you watch, you know, a lot of the spread teams like Gus and Jeff at Ole Miss it's just like zone read. All they're doing is leaving the conflict guy, leaving the sixth defender, and kind of coming down, making him respect the quarterback, and then trying to get the ball to the perimeter. I think it's a good, quick way to get the ball to the perimeter and force. Sure, there's different philosophies. Like, are you that, that like some guys are going to come out and say, "Look, at, I want to throw the football." All right, and so it doesn't matter what front, what coverage, whatever I'm getting. That's just who I am. Like I've always kind of been more of a guy where. I throw the I want to throw the football, but I want to throw the football so I can run it. All right. Some people are I'm going to run it so I can throw the football, but I've always been I want to spread the defense, get the ball perimeter, throw the key screens, and I'm trying to force the defense to go to some sort of a split safety and roll the roll the corners up and trying to contain the offense, which then to me creates room space in the middle. Of the, of the defense and that's where speed option comes yeah i've i've used it before and it's funny you brought that up exact same answer we were using it for the bear now i was not in love with it our head coach liked it um our quarterback didn't like it either he he just didn't like that premise he was a drop back guy of running out of defensive ends for him that that didn't work very well no i do think it, it definitely could be effective and probably you know you mentioned the bear front and we're seeing a lot of of the tight front or the mid front where it's essentially like the Bears. So I'm sure that's why we've started to see the speed option reappear. Defensively, I have seen just such a big jump on defenses from <laughs> four down split safety defenses to the three four look because I think it's more multiple. It's cut, to me, the three four defense is, is, is spread offense on defense. Okay. There's so much more multiple. They can drop eight, they can bring extra guys, they can give you so many different looks. When it's four down, you know, right now, you know, okay, these four guys are coming. All right. You know, they've got to have a mic backer. So that takes care of five of them. All right. When they're three four, they have so many more options as a defense on coverages and who can blitz and what kind of blitz blitz patterns they can have kind of like spread teams are on offense and i agree with you i think that's seen so many more three four teams now and i think the reason for that has has been because of spread offenses right i mean if i'm a full if i'm a tight and attached fullback i offense you never used to see three fours because you would because you would just run at the bubble all day yeah right and, and, you know, you just pound them, gap it off and run power and all that kind of good stuff. So that's my thought on it. Keith, it's just an old man in Hamburg drinking German beer. Just give me my opinion. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's right or what's wrong. Yes, keep that in mind. <laughs> Before you get too deep in those pints of Pilsner, you know, a couple more questions here. One, uh, something I've seen out of uh, Steve Sarkeesian now, both at Alabama and he's doing it at Texas. And I fully believed in this. I've, I've talked about this on the podcast several times over the years. It was something we did too. We went to the pistol and I never was in love with the the ball handling out of it when you wanted to run some of your downhill runs and run naked away it was just awkward right when we talked about how teams are going under center more and getting more traditional because you know on an outside zone play they really get that sell so they can play action or naked away because of that time that you have the distance from the ball carrier sure but what Sark does and this is something we adapted I think in 2010 is we started reversing out in the pistol, right? So quarterback catches the ball on every single run play we had. Now we would do some read game, but we tagged those differently. He would catch the ball and turn around. His back would go to the defense. And we had just the tempo of the play, whether it was outside zone, inside zone, counter power, started to feel more like we had that little bit of extra time and sell of the run game. And it really worked effective for us. And you see uh, Sark doing that now. He did it last year at Alabama. You see him doing it at Texas on the play actions, and it's been very effective for for him. So I think what it really goes to is what we talked about is how play action really needs some of that time to to sell it patiently before you know you're attacking them with the drop back. You need people committing. You're one thousand percent right, and I wish I was. I wish I had done more of that, like Sark and a lot of the guys are doing. Because you're 100% right. When you're an offset gun, your play action is very limited. Your nakers aren't great, right? That's why if you watch Lincoln and, and a lot of gun teams, they have to pin the end and keep a blocker on the end when they try to run nakeds. Because mm-hmm. everything happens so quick, right? I mean, I mean, it's like a flash fake and the ball's out and everybody knows where the football is. Whereas opposed to the old days when you're under center, I mean, you imagine you're taking a – five-step drop and fake into a guy that's seven yards, six, seven yards deep. I mean, that's holding people. People have to wait and see where the ball's going to be, doing things to the defense that makes them hesitant on what they're doing. That's why mm-hmm. lead, lead, draw, right? First thing you learn when you're a young coach. You're in the lead draw, run the lead draw, then you're in the right. play action off the lead draw, right, to hold the backers. Once the backers are, are tackling your back at the line of scrimmage, then you should be calling the, the play action off of lead draw. Well, same thing. And I wish I had done a better job studying it and learning pistol runs because I think it's a great addition to any spread offense. And now I know, I know, listen to guys like Norvell and those guys talk as far as the zone read piece of it, that it also, you also have to be aware it takes longer for the mesh to happen, yeah. which also gives more opportunities for an end, you know, how they attack in the mesh and those things. So, so I believe like a lot a lot of teams, they won't run zone read or the tight zone out of pistol unless they have enough tight end, unless they've removed the read to the D gap, okay? And then like obviously then if you go back to what, five, six, seven years ago and Coach Alt in Nevada and what the stuff they were doing out of pistol, they were very dynamic offense. And there's a whole art to that. Yep. And there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I've, you know, I've never coached the pistol, you know, very much. You know, except for uh, let's just put him back there and, and hand stretch to him, right? But I do think that's that's a that's a mm-hmm. place 
or that's a part of spread offense team, tempo teams that I wish I had invested more time in. And you're exactly right. Everything, everything you said about the pistol, what it does for your, your, what it does for you offensively. So coach, this next question here is one I thought of over the weekend, I was watch, watching some different games unfold and people handle it differently, but you have that quarterback who maybe early in the game throws a pick, right? So what do you do? with that quarterback how are you going to handle that situation so you know that you want that guy to have confidence right i tell you what hold on hold on hold on keith sure keith hold on i happen to be sitting at this little pub with josh booty all right (laughs) who's one of the most successful quarterbacks uh at lsu played in the nfl has been has done those things you know and so listen this old man talk about quarterback i'm gonna let you ask that question to josh okay okay and see what josh has got to say perfect hey josh Josh, come here. Come here. Yeah, Josh is out here. He's he's actually you're not going to believe this, but he's actually going to I'm going to put him in. He's going to play in this All Star game for me. Okay. <laughs> no, you're not playing the whole game, Josh. You're not going to last the whole game. All right. All right. But I'm going to let you ask Josh since since he's a quarterback and since he lived that life. I'm going to let you ask him this question. Yeah. All right. Great. Awesome. Hey, Keith. What's up, brother? Josh, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Yeah, I'm great, man. I appreciate you taking the time away from whatever you guys are doing there in Hamburg. Yeah, no problem. The question is this, right? <laughs> the question is this. You have a quarterback who, who throws a pick, and let's let's say it's early in the game, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's the way? And I know you're doing some coaching right now. Obviously, you've done it as a player. But what's the way you should handle that situation so that – you know, number one, you have some confidence in him moving forward to be able to throw some more passes down the field, but more importantly, that he doesn't lose his confidence. What's the best way to handle that kind of situation? I think there's a couple things as a coach you can do to really help the situation, both in your play calling and in what you, how you handle the quarterback and what you say to him. I think that there's power in words, right? In a big game, you're on the road, there's a lot of environments that are tough. If you can really get down to, you know, I guess to his his psyche and figure out. Now, there, there's a lot of coordinators that call from, you know, up in the booth. And then you got guys that are calling plays on the field mm-hmm. like Noel Mazzoni calls plays on the field. And so you get that you get that face time, right, with your quarterback. And it's like, okay, we made a mistake. It doesn't really matter. This is a – 60 minute game or this is a this is a this is a first or second drive you make a mistake we've got to get through this you know we're going to get you some completions we're going to get you back on track we can move the football our plan is good there's a lot that you can help a young quarterback with in terms of you know his psyche in a big game um you know it's it's different at the college level than it is the NFL level and I think at the NFL level, you're a pro, you're getting paid to play. It's, it's like, hey, this is your, you know, it's your, it's business. At the college level, especially if you're young, like say the quarterback at Ohio State right now, CJ Stroud, he's a young player. He's having some success. Their defense has given up a lot of points, but, you know, if he struggles at times, you got to figure out ways to get him out of that rut and back into some good uh, situations and you got to call good play. So a lot of it's on the coordinator. And then what he what he tells them, and you're right there. You know, it's a great question because every quarterback's different. You know, a lot of kids get down. Uh, a lot of kids don't. A lot of kids are mentally tough. A lot of kids are not, but they might be gifted. So I think you got to know who you're dealing with as a as a human being, and know 
okay, can I can I berate this guy? I mean, I played for Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher at the same time, and those guys are those guys are considered probably two of the coaches that would berate players the most. If you do, if you make one mistake, you know, you feel like you've made 20, you know, and then you play for a guy that probably like Noel, that if you make one mistake, he's thinking, okay, we got, we're going to 50 bullets in this game, you know, 50, we're going to take 50 throws in this game or 50 shots in this game. That one, don't let it bother you, you know? And I like that. I kind of like the Noel, you know, how he would have handled it probably better than, I do Saban. You know, when I played for Saban, he was a defensive coach, and he didn't run the spread back then. It was very, like, run, run, play action, boot, play action, run, play action, boot. You know, maybe some two or three receiver sets, but it wasn't the spread. Now Saban and what they do at Alabama is a completely different deal. But I'm just – you know, it it depends on what's your offense, you know, how good are you at throwing the football, how accomplished are you at throwing the football, stuff like that that can make a big difference in – how you deal with the quarterback. Because if he's young and he has not proven himself and he's playing on a team that is not great offensively, that's when it's the dip most difficult because what are you going to call? You're only as good as the, your players and the and the receivers and run game and balance and all that. So there, there's a lot that goes into that question, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, again, looking at it from the, the player perspective, right, and I'll, I'll relate it to basketball, right? In a basketball game, you probably would want to take a few of those layups before you started chucking up threes. So for you as a quarterback, did you have that approach? Did it, did it you know, matter to you that, you know, give me some things that are maybe going to get me into a rhythm first, get me a feel for the game, get me, get me a feel for what the speed of the game is? Because we know it's not going to be the same as what we worked against scouts all week, but any preferences for you that, and, and I'm sure maybe they varied for you, you know, as you were younger as, and then being more experienced. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've been around a lot of guys, too. And that's another one. It really is a wonderful question. And I've never been asked this. But there's a lot of kids that get so fired up because of the buildup of a football game, whether it's high school on Friday or college on Saturday or Sunday. There's so much buildup. They can't wait to showcase what they worked on that week or they, maybe their energy level is just – through the roof, their personality, you know, it's, it's almost better to stay like even kill. And I think as you get older, that, that the best players in the world just stay even kill. You can pump yourself up on the inside, but you can't let it, it uh, take advantage of you on the outside in terms of get happy feet, get, get so excited or so nervous or antsy in the pocket that it affects you. And I, I think football is such a crazy game because the defense can throw a ton at you. You cannot be prepared for what you're seeing. You can come make adjustments. You can go back out there and do much better. Personality plays a huge role in how effective you can turn around uh, a performance in the middle of a game. I've seen guys – we played – when I was in Cleveland, I was backing up Tim Couch. And we played uh, against the Detroit Lions. And Ty Detmer, who was, of course, Heisman Trophy winner, BYU great, uh, played in the league forever. He threw seven picks against us in one game. And I was a, I'm buddies with him, and I asked him, why did you you know, why did you know, decide to keep throwing it down the field, taking chances? It was windy that day in Cleveland. Uh, you know, wind coming off the leg. And he goes, I was at that game. Man, yeah. they <laughs> – were you really? Yeah, so, yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I was on the sideline, and I'm like, that's amazing you were there. And and I was like, why did you continue to take shots? And he goes, 
for in order for my team to win, or I felt like my team to win, I took the shots. I'm, I, you know, he's a smart enough player to know he had to move the football to a certain degree. It just went really bad that day for him. And I think, you know, I think that quarterbacks that are gunslingers, like Brett Favre or like a Matt Stafford, now, you know, now you see Stafford in a great situation, great defense, you know, great play caller. You're going to see him blossom when you got everything. Or you're only as good as the people around you. So it's it's you know the quarterback situation is so different, and personalities are always so different. But the guys that are the consistent ones that don't get too high and too low, don't get too fired up for games, act like you've been there. The Brady's, the Breeze, the the Manning, those are the real pros, the real real pros. You know that have done it so long and done it so well. You can take a page from their from their um, you know I guess their their overall quarterback play in terms of if you really want to be good at this at the game of football and play the quarterback position you can take so much from them because it's like it is it's all about execution and every play is its own play you know and that's what Saban used to tell us is every play is its own play like just play this play you don't think about the next one or the one behind you and the one in front of you you don't score. You don't go down and 80 yards in one play drives most of the time. It's like, what can you do? Get the ball out of your hand to the right person. Let them make the plays. And I think if you just start understanding that, let the game come to you, and you don't have to, you don't have to try to do too much. Then the game becomes a lot easier, and you don't put too much pressure on yourself. And I think that's a big key too. Is when you feel antsy, or you feel like you got to do too much or you're so hyped and pumped about the game because you've been waiting all week. You try to, a lot of kids try to do too much and it's like settle in, make the play from play one to the last play of the game. And you're going to have more success doing it that way. Yeah. And it's interesting. You brought up Ohio state and that's actually the game I was watching when this question kind of popped into my head because Kyle McCord, who's who's a five-star true freshman, is out there. His first two passes, you know, if you're watching it, you never saw him play. It's like, who was evaluating this guy? Like, I mean, he airmailed mm-hmm. one backwards out of bounds. His other one wasn't even close. And he comes off the sideline. It was the it was the perfect thing that I think as a coach you need to do. Ryan Day, you could you could you could read his lips. Mm-hmm. He came up to him and he said, "Slow down, right?" This this kid was doing exactly Slow that. He's down. starting in his his first game. And, I mean, he ended up you – now he's got some incredible receivers, but he ended up 13 of 18, 319 yards for two touchdowns and a little more than a half. Yep. And now the Big Ten yep. freshman of the week. So, <clears throat> you know, that approach, you know, that's what got me thinking about this. You're right. I think Ryan Day took the right approach to that. You're right. I think your Corey Dennis, the coach there at Ohio State, is a good friend of mine. And, and and he would tell you the same thing. I think it's it's like – Guys get so excited. They've never been there before like him. He gets inserted. Uh, everybody's watching. He's a huge recruit. It's like, how do you handle that situation? Even though you start, you might be antsy, you've got to figure out a way to settle down your mind. And maybe because you have those first two bad plays and the ball sails, that you can get yourself back to, to, to normal. It's like in baseball. If you're facing a great pitcher and you feel like you've got the game speeds up, right? And you haven't been there before, or he throws two great sliders on the outside and you swing and miss, or or you look stupid in the first two pitches, that doesn't mean you're going to have a, a terrible day overall. You've got to get back to what you do best, and so you've got to almost kind of go back down deep, dig down deep within, and go, okay, I've got to figure out a way to stay calm. And if I don't stay calm, this thing's going to get way out of hand. 
And I think that's what you got to do as an athlete. And that's why you spend all those hours watching them and on the practice field doing the same, all, uh, you know, doing all the play. When you go to NFL training camp and or off-season training camp or off-season uh, program and training camp, you go through the same play base stuff over and over and over. You're sick of hearing it, but I'm telling you, when when the when the crap hits the fan, you can go back to your base stuff and you feel comfortable because you've done it so much. So it's all about getting back to what makes you comfortable. And he came out of it and smelling like a rose when he could have gone the other way, but he somehow figured it out and now he had a good day. Can he continue to do that? That's what being a good quarterback is all about in another environment, in a different game on a different Saturday against a different defensive coordinator and against, you know, teams that have different, uh, you know, things that they present problems uh, in different ways every week. It's like every game is you're studying for a midterm test. That's what I've always told the young kids. It's like in the pros, every week is a midterm test and you're facing somebody that's really good on the other side of the, uh, of the, uh, of the field and you've got to be prepared for it. And if you have a bad play, you've got to erase that out of your mind. It's selective memory and you got to keep rolling. And uh, the best, the best have done that and they continue to stay confident and understand what they need to do. Right. Uh, you know, play in, play out. It's only like one play at a time. That's really, if you break it down to the simplest form, I think is this one play at a time execute that play don't think about the stands the score the stadium nothing execute that one play what's the down and distance you know what who what, what kind of defense are we facing on that play and try to figure out how to win that play just do that over and over and over and don't look at this big picture small picture Josh, one more thing I'd like to get your thoughts on, and it actually comes from that game as well. So Ohio State had committed before that game. They were going to play McGord, and they were going to play, uh, I think it was Miller, their third quarterback. Um, and at half, the game was in hand, right? Uh, but they put McCord mm-hmm. back out on the field, and, and the announcer said this. I don't know. I think if, if they had the foresight and they were thinking about this, I think this is tremendous as far as a quarterback's learning. Uh, but McCord went back in, and the thought was, maybe they picked this up in an interview at half from Ryan Day, the thought was, we want this guy to experience having been in at halftime and go out and making some adjustments and being able to play with those adjustments. So your thought on uh, you know, those opportunities to teach kids? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's good. I think you look for opportunities to, you know, to, to bring kids along especially young kids that haven't played in many games and you got to see what they've got, right? It's like, what's their, do they have the metal? You know, do they have the, the resolve? Do they have the, the want to, it's like, how, how boy are you? You know? And I think those coaches, they, they say it in the locker rooms and as fans, we don't really realize probably what they're saying to them in the locker room. It's like, do you have clear eyes? Can you, know, are you fake? Were you phased by that? Mm-hmm. Like, well, how are you, talking back to me when I'm asking you questions about what you decided to do with the football in the middle of a football game. And I think once you understand who you're dealing with when you're a coach, if you're an accomplished coach, like Rick, like Ryan Day knows what he's doing. You know, Irvin Meyer knew what he was doing. It's like, so you have conversations with that quarterback at halftime. Is he phased out? Does he understand what he's trying to do? Is he clear in his thoughts? You know, he's got clear eyes or is he rattled? You know, is he young? Is he going to be effective in the second half. I mean, you can understand that and evaluate where you are in the out in the game and make decisions based on that. There's there's been many a game where there's been two quarterbacks playing. I mean, even at LSU, they even tried to do that to me. He would bring, 
you know, sometimes he'd bring another guy in. And he Spurrier did that at Florida with some of the great players that they – quarterbacks that they had there. He would rotate quarterbacks just because they made one bad decision in the course of a game. And it sucks to be a quarterback in, in a situation like that, but that's what they're they're wondering is, how is he going to handle it if I take him out for a series and then put him back in? Can he handle it? Is he got – is he got what it takes to jump right back in there and get after it, or is he going to tank, you know, as a player? And that's, every coach is different. That 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 sucks to come out as a starter, uh, but at the same time, it's like there's a lot you can learn in different situations all game long, and you're always evaluating guys. I, I don't care if you're Ohio State or you're Alabama, you're number one in the country. If they're always evaluating players, and if you have a bad day. And someone else behind you at the big schools has can can come in and do better and maybe has a better rapport with the guys. Then you know sometimes you're you know what it, you know what I'm trying to say. It's like it just there's a lot to the quarterback position and there's a lot to a head coach making an offensive coordinator making decisions on who can play. Ohio State's got three unbelievable quarterbacks right now. Who are they going to play? Who's going to be hot? Quinn Ewers is coming going to be a stud player next year for them. Is he going to jump them all? You know, who knows? But I promise you they're going to find the best guy, and that's how their whole life revolves around who's going to be our best guy, you know. And so there's a lot that goes into it, even in practice sessions and, and, and film sessions and all that stuff. Um, you know, how can how do they answer questions and different things like that and how do the guys get along with, their, with the players? Well, Josh, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and joining us on the podcast, even if, you know, it was Noel throwing the phone at you here. But, <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. But, man. Uh, it was great to get your insight and uh, would love to have you back on again. Man, call me anytime. Um, you know, I'm on all social media, Josh Booty 10, and I'm with Coach all the time. But, yeah, hit me up. I'd love to join you guys, and he's awesome. I'm, I consider him a, a great friend and a big brother, so I, it was a pleasure getting on the phone with you guys. Thanks for uh, having me. All right, Coach. Well, hey, I really appreciate you handing the phone over to Josh and giving us some of that insight here as you guys uh, are in Hamburg. And um, I look forward to our conversation next week. But uh, good luck there and have fun coaching up those guys in, in Germany. Keith, you know we're boys. I love always talking ball with you. I'm glad Josh got on there. And, uh, hey, we'll see what surprise guests we have next week. Never know. Never know. You never know, right? <laughs> hey, thanks, Keith. And I'll talk to you next week. Well, that was another fun one with Coach Mazzoni, and he's certainly stayed active this season, been doing a lot of things, and we look forward to being back with you next week talking more ball with Coach Mazzoni. Follow all we're doing at coachingcoordinator.com and follow me on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.